Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Reading Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. For everything there is a reason, excuse me, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck of what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they, as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil, that his God's gift to man. I perceive that God, excuse me, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is ready has been that which is to be. Already has been and God seeks what has been driven away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We do thank you for your word, Father. Um, we were we were singing that we wanted to um, to hear you, and we we acknowledge Holy Spirit that. We really need you to open our ears and our hearts because um, we can't even, we can't hear you rightly apart from your own good work in us. And so um, would you do that good work? Would you be with me and uh, my weakness as I preach and help us all to, um, to hear you speak? We trust you with that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> when our boys were younger, they loved to play with Legos. Uh, I was thinking they would be here this morning, but they are not feeling well, so they're, they're just sneezing and coughing all over the place. So they're at home with Libby. Uh, you can be grateful that they're not here. Um, when I was younger, I used to play with Legos. Like last year, I was playing with Legos on a fairly regular, regular basis. And, um, you know, there's so many cool things about Legos, but one of the, one of the things that I found so satisfying is that you can, you can build these worlds with Legos and you can create these stories and everything literally just clicks right into place. Uh, everything is ordered and it's controlled and, and each piece is placed exactly where you want it. And Ecclesiastes is opening us up to the world as it actually is, which is so not like Legoland. Uh, like we might wish that all of the varied pieces of our lives, like the people, the events, 
the circumstances, the places, would just click together into this um, seamless kind of whole, into some kind of story that makes sense, into a story that we have some measure of control over. But you know this family, like the world as it actually is, which is the world that Ecclesiastes is concerned with, um, it's just so much more complicated than that. Like sometimes the colors don't match, sometimes the piece you know would finish the project is nowhere to be found. Sometimes you step on that piece and it just makes you uh, scream in agony. Uh, like it's sometimes the whole, it feels like the whole world is crumbling down around you. Like our times are not as predictable as we wish it, they were. And, and so in our passage this morning, Kohelet is really wrestling with this. Remember, he has been on um, a universal quest to discover the meaning of life. He's explored and examined wisdom. We talked about that. Pleasure. We looked at that. Work. All of these different activities uh, that, that human beings are up to in the world. And he has found them all wanting. Like, none of them are satisfying. None of them rise above the hevel. The hevel. It's the Hebrew word that means, like, vapor. Colette says, like, at the end of the day, it's all vanity of vanities. It's all hevel, which is to say it's confusing. It's confounding. It's an enigma. It's frustrating. When we turn to the real world, like, not the world that we can kind of, like, create and manage in our systematic theologies, not the world as we wish it might be, not the Legoland world, but the world as it actually is, we find it to be, yes, a beautiful thing, but also a really befuddling thing. It is holy, and it is also horrible. It looks like the pieces don't fit together at all, and if everything does fit together somehow, it's like, well, we just don't see how it possibly can be. So, let's, let's look at this passage. I think I might ruin this passage for you. <laughs> it's a famous passage. It's a well-known passage. It's beloved. Uh, but what's actually going on here? Uh, up to this point, Kohelet has been kind of down in the weeds, exploring the details of the world in search for meaning. But now it's like he leads us up onto this high mountaintop uh, where we get a panoramic view of everything under the sun. And from this high vantage point, what do we see? What do we see from the mountaintop? Verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now, if we're familiar with the book of Proverbs, we might be getting our hopes up because in Proverbs, the wise person is the person who knows the right thing to say or the right way to act according to the right time. Like that is how Proverbs defines wisdom knowing the right thing to do or the right thing to say at the right time. And so maybe Kohelet is now going to show us how to live well according to the times and the seasons. Maybe he's going to show us how to manage our time and master our schedules so that we can have our best year ever. Oh, no, family. <laughs> this is not Kohelet's way. Uh, from our mountaintop view, we can see everything that happens, and, and Kohelet begins to recite. He, he just breaks into poetry on top of the mountain. He's reciting a poem for us. It's a beautiful, balanced poem. It's evocative. It's the kind of poem that someone might want to take and turn into a catchy tune, maybe, maybe played on a 12-string guitar. But here's the thing. I mean, don't let the beauty of the poem distract you from its really confounding message. Kohelet is saying, look out from this um, mountain vista over the world, 
And, and what do you see? There are wonderful things happening all the time. Babies are being born. People are healing and being healed. People are creating and just building so many amazing, awesome things. People are laughing and dancing and celebrating. People are embracing and reconciling. Like the world is full of love and it's full of peace. I mean, just look. Just look, Kohelet says. You can see all of that. But now keep looking. And what do you see? See, there are horrible things happening all the time. People are dying and people are killing and being killed and people are destroying and tearing down and people are weeping and mourning and people are being excluded and cast off and the world is full of war and it's full of hatred. And just look, I mean, you can see all of that too. So this poem is 14 pairs of, of two and it's meant to cover like the, the entire expanse of human experience. Um, it's important to, see, to notice that like, this is not a prescription for how to move through life. Like sometimes do this and at other times do that. No, this is just a description of what actually happens. This is the world as it actually is. And, and the point is that all of these things kind of just happen to you. I mean, you don't manage your birth your death, you don't control when you suffer and when you flourish, you can't schedule your laughing and your weeping. You see, family, Kohelet's point is not something like, isn't it wonderful how well ordered the world is with the right time for everything? And neither is his point um, to echo the message of Proverbs about wisdom consisting in knowing the right thing to do or the right thing to say at the right time. Kohelet is not saying pay attention to the season so that you know when it's time to love and so that you know when it's time to hate so that you know when it's time to heal and so that you know when it's time to kill he's not saying that no Kohelet wants us um, just honestly to face the baffling the baffling truth of our human experience he's saying look at the befuddling mess of a world we've got there is a time for everything and some of it's wonderful and some of it's horrible and all of it is pretty much entirely out of your control. This is the wonderful world of Ecclesiastes. Now there is some predictability, right? I mean, that's one of the gifts that the times and seasons bring. Chances are fairly good that the sun will set this evening, just as it did last evening. We kind of expect it to. Chances are that as we move into October, like leaves are going to accelerate their fall from the trees. Chances are your garden is not going to flourish in January. But we don't really control any of that, do we? I mean, if you keep wearing flip-flops, you're not going to delay the coming of winter. You're just going to have cold toes. And when we turn to the storylines of our particular lives, like they really defy our mastery too, don't they? Like We all have these ideas of how we would like our lives to go. We have ideas about the way things are supposed to happen for us. But we really can't control the seasons of our lives even at the individual personal level. Which doesn't keep us from trying. I mean, it's like we are obsessed with time. We want to believe that we can get beyond time or get outside of time or beat time. I mean, 
um, I love I love watching movies, and in the movies, you know, we're always fantasizing about how we could create some device that could help us get back, and then fix time, set things right in our in, in the story of the world or in our own personal stories. Um, you know, so many of us I think feel kind of tortured by time, threatened by time. We're always saying things like, "Where did time go? Where's it gone? There's just not enough time." Or, or we're saying, we've got to make the most of our time. When will my time come? That's a question some of us wonder. Uh, there is an entire industry that has grown up around productivity and time management. It's based on the premise that if we can just manage our calendars and schedules with greater skill, like we can design for ourselves the lives we've always wanted. It's seductive to think that. I mean, I've bought productivity books. I've, bought, I've gone in for the apps that you know, promise to make my life like, just way more efficient. And, and family, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, just as we must surrender to the inevitable changes from summer to fall, from fall to winter, like, there's also a way that we have to submit to what the seasons of our lives bring to us, like the joy and the sorrow, the laughter and the mourning, the sowing and the reaping, birth and life, and aging, and death. Well, um, Kohelet, he isn't happy about any of this. This song doesn't lead him to feel groovy. In verse 9, he repeats the question that kicked off his quest in chapter 1. He, he asks, what gain has the worker from all his toil? Like all these seasons and times, like he, he's saying, what's the point of any of this. Like, what's the payoff? What does it amount to? Verse 10 says, I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That is a rather rosy translation. Uh, other translations, if you do some comparisons, say, I've seen the burden. I've seen the burden that God has laid on us. Like, I mean, his point is that we endure the seasons that life brings, the wonderful and the terrible. And in the end, and in the end, what? Oh, well, we're, we're put in a little box, and we're put on, into the ground. It, it's like we are pawns trapped in the relentless movement of time, which is entirely out of our control. Seasons just keep happening. Time for everything under the sun, and, and we're going to experience it, and then we're going to die, and that's that. Now. What makes it even worse for Kohelet, if you can imagine it getting any worse, is verse 11, which we often turn to as such a like, hopeful, wonderful thing. But look at it in its context. Verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Do you hear what he's saying? This is not a praise to God for giving us this deep longing for eternity, this is actually a complaint. It'd be much easier if we didn't long for transcendence, if we didn't have some sense that there must be far more to life than the steady march of time between our births and our deaths. But no, like we have awareness of the full spectrum of time beyond this moment. We realize on one hand how finite and how contingent we are, but we carry with us at the exact same time, this longing for permanence, for transcendence, for, for a life that lasts. And so this longing for eternity only adds to the agony. 
Like imagine a beautiful tapestry that covers like, I don't know, that, that covers the whole wall. And uh, it's telling this epic story from, of, of time from beginning to end. Like just all of time, all of human history. And somewhere on that tapestry is your life. It's like a little tiny dot. And, and, and see what Kohela is saying is like, we long to know our place in this grand tapestry. We, we long to know um, like the beginning and the end, but we just can't because we're a part of the tapestry ourselves. We're stuck inside of it. Um, we, we want to know the full context, but we can only see what is right around us, right before us, right behind us, side to side. We can never step out of the tapestry and see the whole thing. And because we can't see the full picture, there's just no way to make any sense of it. If the tapestry means something, we can't know it because we're trapped within the tapestry itself. The great um, philosopher and mathematician, Blaise Pascal, uh, he was meditating on time and eternity, and, and he said this, when I consider the short duration of my life, swallowed up in the eternity before and after, the small space which I fill or even can see, engulfed in the infinite immensity of spaces whereof I know nothing and which know nothing of me, I am terrified. <coughs> and I wonder that I am here rather than there. For there is no reason why here rather than there. Or now rather than then. Who has set me here? Well, Kohelet believes that it's the God of Israel who has set him here and who has set us here. But that does not satisfy his questions. That doesn't make this mess of a world any less confounding. And so what does he say? I mean, he winds up at the same place where we left him last week. I perceive that there is nothing better for them. And by them, he just means us, humanity, to be joyful and to, be, and to do good as long as they lived so that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now again, this is not a sudden shift to a celebration of God's good gifts and creation. This is a sigh of resignation. According to Kohelet, making your way through the world with as much goodness and joy as you can is just the most you can hope for. And so eat and drink and take pleasures in your activities where you can get the pleasures because that is God's gift to you. Ecclesiastes. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, go in peace. No. <laughs> now, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? Um, what, are we saying, what are we saying week after week? Are you memorizing it yet? Ecclesiastes is? True. It is true. It's true. Um, and, and you know it's true. You know it's true, right? Like, I, we, some of us are celebrating the life of newborn babies, and, and some in our community are, like, prepping for their next battle with cancer. You know, like, you look out at the world, and it is full of wonderful, horrible things, and, like, none of it is in our control. And, and so maybe one place to start, again, is just to sit with the truth of it. To say, yeah, the world is confusing and confounding, and it is this really beautiful, befuddling thing. And within that, 
maybe there is some wisdom here to be gleaned from Kohelet. Like we can learn from Kohelet how to accept our time-bound lives as they actually are and as they actually unfold. We can learn to receive rather than resist the rhythms of life. You know, farmers, I imagine, are, are like the best at this. We have, we have some farmers in the room, kind of. But you know this, you know this, that, uh, you know, farmers can't just go, um, can't just plant and care for animals according to any old time. You have to pay attention to the times and seasons that are given. Well, that principle is true for all of us in, in everything that we do. Like, just think about aging. Like, the person in his or her 70s should not expect the body and the energy of a 35-year-old. Uh, Unless you're Mick Jagger. A good point, Harry. That's fair enough. Um, your, your free time after you have kids, it, it just won't be the same as your free time uh, before you had kids. It'll be different. And by different, I mean it'll be like non-existent. You just won't have free time anymore. And, that, and that's, that's a different season. Um, this, this is true for our life and experience with God as well. Like our life with God changes in the different seasons of our own lives. Like our friend Leslie... Libby's and my friend Leslie tells a story about a pink tank top that she had in elementary school. And oh, how she loved, <laughs> oh, how she loved that tank top. Um, she really loved it. Like she would wear it every day, every day until she had to wash it. And then maybe she had like a backup shirt to wear. But she would wear it every day. She loved it so much that she just kept wearing it. And she kept wearing it right through the end of elementary school and right on through middle school and, and sure enough, right on into high school. And then one day she realized, like, I can't feel my arms uh, because the, the shirt had cut off the circulation in her body. Um, see, she had changed. The season for wearing that pink tank top had come and gone. It had come and gone like five years ago. And she was still wearing it. And her point when she told us the story was that Sometimes we do that in our lives with God, too. Like, we pine for experiences of the past that felt really cozy and comfortable. And we want the way it used to be to continue forever. And what that ends up doing is actually closing us off to what God has for us, like, today. Right here and right now, in this time, in this season. And so instead of trying to control our lives toward whatever desired outcome we might have. Um, there's wisdom here in Kohelet to, to receive life in all of its befuddling beauty, uh, just to receive it as it is. Like there is a time for everything under the sun and hardly any of it is under our control. And, and, and so, so Kohelet is challenging us to again kind of like wake up wake up to the reality of the world as it actually is. He's inviting us again to an honesty that is often really uncomfortable for religious people who like to have tidy answers or quick answers that sound super pious and faithful. But see, Kohelet's up there on the mountaintop and he's looking out over this panoramic view. He's scanning everything that life brings and he's just saying, hey, get real. It is not all sweetness and light and, and, and that's true for people of faith. It's true for people who are following Jesus. Ella didn't say that, but I'm saying that. It's true for people who are following Jesus. It is not all sweetness and light. Um, there is a time for everything under the sun.
So Ecclesiastes is true, but it's not the whole truth. So when we look at the very beginning of the Bible story, um, and what I take, I, one of the things that I take the Bible to be giving us is like the true story of the world as it actually is. And so when we look at this story, uh, one of the things we see is God creating the world and um, we see that God makes time for the world. God makes time for the world. And, and I mean that in two ways. I mean, first, at the obvious level, we see that God creates the world to have these seasons, to have time. I mean, we, we read about God creating lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day and the night and to make the seasons and days and years. And when God creates these seasons and, and you know, the, um, the lights to separate day from night, he doesn't say, it's Hebel. Uh, he says it's good. It's good. It's, it's good for for the world to have like these times and seasons that we move through and, and that we move through in some ways over and over again as we go through time. So God makes time for the world in that way, but there's a deeper way in which God makes time for the world. God chooses to share his life with the world. Like he brings the world into existence. God didn't have to do that. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have just been existing for all eternity, they turn their attention to the world. Um, we, we read about God walking in the garden with humanity in the cool of the evening. See, God like really gives us his time. He gives us his time. Like he is really present to us and attentive to us. Like time is one of God's good gifts to the world. We might even say that it's the gift beneath every other gift. If, if God didn't give us time, if he didn't give us his time, we just wouldn't exist at all. We couldn't experience any of the other gifts that God has for us. So God gives us time, and what do we do? We turn our backs on him. He has time for us, but we don't have time for him. And we see this play out in the Bible story in so many sad ways from Genesis 3 on. And so, and so creation falls into sin, and, and we see that time falls right along with it. I mean, Kohelet wrestles so much with the absurdity of it all because his experience is of fallen time. And it really is fallen through and through. And it, as a result, we just don't really know what to make of it. I mean, it really is confusing and confounding and misleading. The, the, uh, the great theologian Karl Barth, he said that we don't actually live in time, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, he says... Not real time. We don't live in a real time. The time we have is like a shadow of time as it's supposed to be. Here's how my friend Mark Edwards puts it. Um, he's summarizing Bart, and again, this is a quote that's too long. I should have gotten it on the screens for you because it's also meaty. But here's what he says. Uh, we do not understand time. Our time is a lie. Our time is a false myth. The histories we write are not true histories. The clocks and calendars we watch subsist only as highly questionable pseudo-realities. I mean, we tend to think, gosh, if there's anything we can bank on, it's that, that we at least know what an hour is. Right? It's 60 minutes, and every minute has 60 seconds, and Bart would say, no, 
It's a pseudo-reality. We don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about minutes and hours and seconds. He says, Bart, this is Mark summarizing Bart. He says, we live in lost time. This time is, con is a confusion. Our pasts haunt us in the present. Our present perpetually and immediately evaporates into the dark abyss of the past. Our future is an uncertain cause of anxiety, full of danger, terror, and death. We are lost in time. We grasp at distraction. We cling to icons of stability. That app, that productivity app, an icon of stability. We build storehouses of security. We write narratives of longevity. We scrape with desperation at the overhanging cliff of ticks and talks in a futile attempt to make something in our lives permanent. We fail. We fall. We do not understand our lives. We do not understand history. We do not know where the world is going. We do not know where we are going. Our time is lost. We are lost in sin. Ours is sinful time. Ours is fake time. Ours is fallen time. And you see Kohelet, finally, <laughs> finally someone understands me. <laughs> I mean, that is Kohelet's experience. He's grappling with the absurdity of lost, fallen time. And if the true story of the world ended there with Genesis 3, like, we would have to throw up our hands in exasperation with Kohelet. But family, Ecclesiastes is true, but it's not the whole truth. Um, and so when we turn to the New Testament, we read some remarkable things like this. The Apostle Paul says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. It's like the world's fallen to sin and ruin affects us, but it doesn't affect God and God's time. God's time is still his own, and it is still full and good. Like the Father just keeps on loving the Son and the Spirit, the same love that's been going on for all eternity. And in the fullness of time, God shares again his life with us by sending us his Son. So you see, family, God put eternity in our hearts, and there's no way, I mean, there's no way for you or for me to jump out of the tapestry and to grab hold of eternity, but what the gospel says is that um, eternity can come to us, that the one who exists outside of the tapestry, who in fact created the tapestry, can enter into it, can cross the divide between the creator and the creation, and can come in to this world he's made. And so John tells us that the word who is with God in the beginning became flesh and dwelt among us like the triune God of grace whose time just is the eternal flow of love among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enters into his good world enters into his creation and not in a superficial way I mean when you look at the life of Jesus he's not just skipping across time taking a tour of the good stuff in Kohelet's poem no I mean he is fully entering into lost time with you and with me. And, and he, God, as Jesus, is experiencing himself, everything under the sun. The laughter and the joy, but also the weeping and the sorrow. And he goes down to the very depths of our fallen time, even to the point of dying on a cross. God knows the times and the seasons 
because he's lived through them as Jesus. And he's done all of this to redeem and rescue us from our fallen time. You know, no one, I, I, I say no one, maybe that's a bold claim. Maybe I should say, I sure don't understand time and eternity very well. And my guess is you don't either. Uh, maybe I should put it like that. I mean, we have our theories, but we are really dealing with a mystery. We're really de- dealing with a mystery. But one thing that we can count on, at least in our fallen lost time, is change. Right? I mean, you know, one of the, one of the things that time brings is change. So, like, you know, the sun, well, I, I just like to think of it as the sun moving across the sky still because it's... Something that seems so right about that. I guess technically, what is it? The earth is spinning. I don't know. It is. It is. <laughs> um, and it's always spinning. And it's always moving. And it's just always changing. And, and uh, the, the seasons are always turning from, from fall to, to, um, to winter, from winter to spring. And um, a seed is planted. And what happens? Like it grows. And it grows into this beautiful tree that then eventually dies, but it has cast more seeds that then grow and die. And, and rivers carve out valleys through the mountains, and, and you're born, and I'm born, and we will grow, and then we will die. And in time, if it means anything, we, we figure, well, it must mean change. But then the author of Hebrews says something that is just crazy. He says that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he says that knowing that Jesus was a human being who uh, was born and who lived and who died and who was raised from the dead and who was seated at the right hand of God. I mean, it sounds like there's all kinds of changes happening in the life of Jesus, but his point is that, like, Jesus never changes. Like he's always the same Jesus who he has been for all eternity. He's, he's always steadfast. He's always true. He's always full of, Lord, of love toward people like you and me who so often feel lost in time. Um, he's always been who he always will be. And what difference does that make? Well, from one perspective, not much. I mean, if you thought that signing up for this Christianity thing was going to help you have more control over your life, uh, think again. Life will happen to you. It will happen to you just like it happens to everyone else. But from another perspective, the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, well, that changes everything. Not because he gives you some measure of control over your life. He doesn't. Certainly not because he gives you control over him. He doesn't. It changes everything, family, because you can belong to him. You can belong to Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Um, You can belong to the one with whom there is no shadow of turning. Uh, You can belong to the son who has eternally shared the love of the Father and the Spirit. You can belong to the Lamb who um, was slain from before the foundation of the world. And you can let this be your only hope in life and in death that, that you aren't your own. 
you aren't your own. But you belong to Jesus Christ, and you belong to him no matter what Hubble comes your way. And, and so, um, like with Jesus, the view from the mountaintop, in some ways it's, it's the exact same, but, but it's more expansive. It's like we see everything Kohelet sees, but the, the borders are pushed way out. The panorama is, is much bigger. Um, with the eyes of faith, we're able also to see what Paul sees. And I would encourage you just to go home later today and um, reread Ephesians 1. It pairs well with Ecclesiastes 3. Ephesians 1 and Ecclesiastes 3, these are good chapters to read together. Here's, here's, um, here's what Paul says in just one little part of that first chapter. He says, and, and, he, and see, he can see this not because he has some, um, he can see this through the eyes of faith. He can see this because he knows he belongs to Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's what he sees. That God set it all out before us in Christ, this long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven everything on planet Earth. It's the beginning and the end. Um, everything summed up in Jesus Christ. It's good news. Is it good news that answers all your questions? No. It doesn't answer all your questions. It might create more questions. But it gives you some sense of um, why you're here and where you're going. You're here because from all eternity, God set his love on you in Christ. And you're headed toward being summed up in Jesus along with everything else. And even more than giving us some sense of why we're here and where we're going, it just gives us God. I mean, uh, Jesus is God with us. And so whatever time it is, whatever time it is for you, and I mean, I'm looking around the room and I'm just seeing like, oh, so many different seasons, so many different times, so many different challenges, joys, sorrows, frustrations, so many different cries of despair. Um, whatever time it is for you, Jesus is right there. He's right there. Right there with you. So believe the good news. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.